And uh, I'll pray and then we can get into this. So Father, we thank you so much that you, you're so faithful and you've already come this morning. And God, I pray that the message that you've placed in my heart, God, that your power would come and that you would bring clarity and that you would speak to each and every person, God, what you're saying to them, what this looks like for them. Lord, I pray that you give me grace to just say what needs to be said clearly, and I pray that you would fill in the gaps. We just make ourselves available to you right now, and we give you all the glory for what you have done and for what you're going to do. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, this morning I want to talk to you about uh, something that kind of came out of left field for me because I was not, my brain was not thinking about this, but it's about this idea of boundaries. And, uh, and so I want to talk about boundaries today and what they are, uh, what they look like. And I, I think that a lot of times when we hear the word boundary, some of us don't know really what that means. And for some of us, we kind of take that to an extreme. And so I'm just kind of going to set this up a little bit. But boundaries are a very biblical God idea. They are, they are not some man-made idea. It is a God idea. And a boundary, if you think of it like a fence around your house, it, there is a boundary that says what is inside of this fence is mine, and I'm responsible for it. And everything that happens outside of this fence is not my property, and therefore, in a sense, I'm not the one who's responsible for it. And so gates are what allow something out or something in. And that is the power of boundaries, that boundaries are when you, have, you are a powerful person, empowered by God to say yes or to say no. You get to decide what comes in and what comes out. And when you give up the power to make choices and you start giving the power away to other people, then what begins to happen is you can feel trampled on. And so what can happen a lot of times, if you are a person of no boundaries, it can be very difficult for you or for me to say no. And so people come to you and say, hey, I need this, and you give it to them. Hey, I need that, and you give it to them. And what can happen is if you are like me by nature, we use terminology like a people pleaser. We want people to like us, so we can't tell people no, because we live with a fear of maybe rejection, or even a fear of like we're doing something wrong. And then as you get into the church world, it can be amplified because what happens is, is now you feel like you're a horrible person for saying no to people. So you go, you go to the checkout line and they ask you to donate the money and you're like internally like, no, I don't, I already gave yesterday because I was here yesterday. And you're like, yes, I'll do it. And you give them the money for the donation. And you do it out of guilt. You see, the problem is, is a lot of us have the mentality that the will of God is for us to be a doormat. And the will of God is for us to do whatever anybody wants from us, whatever anybody asks of us, 
And so many of us start out in our Christian journey full of love, full of excitement, full of just energy of I want to serve, I want to help, I want to love my neighbor. And it's only a couple years later, if maybe sometimes it won't even take that long, that you, you run into what a lot of people would describe as burnout. Because they haven't learned how to steward what God has entrusted to them. And so we live our lives where we can't say no, especially in church. But then some of us have gotten really good at saying no, too good. And that is the other extreme where you're like, I've been in the church for over 20 years. I used to be that doormat, but not anymore. I tell everybody no. There is no yes inside of me. You want this? That's too bad. You think this? Get over it. I don't care what you think. Now listen, that is not the purpose of boundaries. The purpose, let me drive this in. The purpose of boundaries is not to be selfish. And what happens is, now we're just going back and forth. This, if, you, if you're used to my preaching, I'm Italian and I use these because I can't talk without these. But also, I, this, this means extreme, one, and this means extreme, two. This is so, just so you know my body language. So, but so then what happens is, you know, maybe you saw, you know, the one person that's extreme and they say no to everything and everyone and refuse to do anything with their lives. And you say, I don't want to be like that. So you say yes to everybody because you don't want to hurt people. Does that ring a bell? So we have these extremes where extreme selfishness, and then we have extreme doormat. And if you're like me, I feel like I'm all over the place. I have firm boundaries until I don't. And then, I, and then I'm like, ugh, and you feel guilty. And, like, and then I get angry. Now we're getting honest. Now, I get angry because people will ask me to do ridiculous things at ridiculous hours of the day and ridiculous times to where you're being contacted, you know, on, on certain, like, you know, I'm on vacation. You know I'm on vacation. Why are you asking me for counseling while I'm on vacation? It's like, and then I say, no. And then I feel bad about it. And now I'm all angry as I'm on vacation because now my, I feel like I've got to be a jerk. And now I don't feel like I'm a Christian because I'm telling somebody no. And so this is, this is the dilemmas that we deal with. But I want to come back today to the biblical worldview of boundaries. Because if you do it right, which I'm not saying I am or you know, that it's an easy thing, there's a lot of tension in it. But as we begin to look at Scripture, it's amazing how Jesus made you responsible for your own life. And Jesus is all about empowerment and us taking responsibility for our own lives. So I want to I look at scripture. We're going to turn to Luke chapter 15. It's a very, very common uh, portion of scripture, probably one of the most preached on passages of scripture. But I want to look from a completely different angle, and so because of that, we're not going to be able to dissect everything in it. But I want to highlight a couple of things. So this is Luke chapter 15. This is the story of the prodigal son. All right? So we're going to pick it up in verse 11. Now, as we 
listen to this story, this parable that Jesus teaches, the dad in the story is God the Father. And the son is like so many of us that have messed up. And it's all about this connection between the father and his child, his son, or really two of his sons. But in verse 11, it says, Then he said, that's Jesus, said, A certain man had two sons, and the younger of them, I laugh because I'm the older child. I'm like, yeah, it is the younger kid. No, I'm joking, just joking. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. Now, the word prodigal, it, you know, means a lot of things in our culture, but when Jesus is using this word, the real meaning of the word and of the story is wasteful. That is what it means. It's a, someone who is blowing their money on stupidity. They have, so you have a ridiculously well-to-do father, and the son comes to the dad and says, you know, you're loaded, and if you were dead, I would have your money by now, so can I just have your money right now? Which in their culture was ridiculous, I think it's offensive now, but it's, it was very offensive what this son has done. He comes to his very wealthy father and says, you have resources that I want. And I want them, and I don't need you in my life. I just want what you have. So I will take what you have, and I will take those resources, and I will do whatever I want with it. And the father, unlike so many of us, says, okay, here you go. The father divides the wealth and gives the son his portion and gives him exactly what he wants. And I want you to see here the empowerment of the father. I want you to see the empowerment of how God works with us in relationship. You see, a lot of times we do not operate anything like the father. We operate out of control. You see, the way we as Christians view things is I love you so much that I don't want you to destroy your life. So I am going to tell you what to do. I am not going to empower you. I am going to be responsible for you. And I am going to say, oh no, you will not leave town. Oh no, you will not have this money. Oftentimes, we misrepresent God by being controlling. Christians are famous for controlling people out of love. <laughs> is, is this not the truth? We think we are responsible for other people's lives. We think we're responsible for other people's choices. So they make poor choices, that relative, that spouse, that kid. Now, obviously, I'm not going to have time to balance all of my statements. You do not 
do a lot of this stuff with a 10-year-old. It's just, it's a completely different thing. I'm talking about grown adults. A lot of times, we try to manipulate and control other people so they don't ruin their lives. Or we try just to tell them what to do. And it only backfires. You can only control somebody for so long before they snap. And then you have a worse mess than you ever had before. So what I'm talking about today is God the Father looks at you and he looks at me. And out of his abundant wealth and his abundant resource, he has deposited treasure inside of each of us. You have time, and we all get equal amount of time. There is no favoritism, no matter how rich or powerful you are. The president of the United States has just as much time in a day as you and me. There, no matter who you are, no matter where you go, God has given all of us time. He has given all of us energy. And energy is a powerful thing. Because you can have time but not energy. And so when you spend your energy, you can actually deplete your energy. To be just laying around like, I have nothing left in my soul. I have nothing left to give these people. My soul is depleted. So you have your energy, you have your time, you have your gift mix. Whether it's as working on computers, working on cars, maybe you are really good at hospitality. Whatever your gift mix is, you have been given treasure. And this treasure is not to be blown. It is not to be wasted. It is to be stewarded. So you are given riches. You are given all kinds of ability. You are given favor. You're given a job. You're given money. You have been given so much by God, and you are the only one who is responsible for you. No one will stand before God on judgment day and say, you know, it's their fault. 20 years ago, when I was this age, that person said that to me, and they offended me. And now it's all their fault. God's like, no, it doesn't work like that. What did you do with what I gave you? I don't, yes, I mean, I'm not saying that mom and dad don't affect in the way they parent and all that. We, we have people do stuff to us, and Jesus will deal with that as well. But what I want you to see is do not give your power away. If somebody comes on your property, coming back to the fence analogy, if somebody comes onto your property and off of your property and, on your, and they trample your flowers and they trample your energy and they trample your home, whose fault is it? You say, well, you, you drive me crazy. You're giving away the power. You ruin my life. You're giving away the power. And sometimes we say, you know, I'm not happy in this marriage. They don't make me happy. Listen, happiness is an inside job. It's not your wife or your husband's job to make you happy. 
Happiness does not come from a job. It does not come from circumstances. Happiness does not come from football. I just want you to know that. I can tell you that. You have a good days and bad days. Just saying. Hopefully I'm not being prophetic for myself. But we are responsible for our own choices. I've heard it said that one of the for people that visit people on their deathbed, that usually the greatest regret, one of the, one of the greatest regrets is that people find, when they, when they sit there on their deathbed, they say, I did not live the life that I really wanted to live. I lived the life that I felt other people wanted me to live. How much of that is happening in our lives where we are not stewarding the treasure, but rather we're blowing it? Just like the prodigal. He's, he's gambling it away. He's spending it on prostitutes. He's buying alcohol. He's buying food. He's blowing the money on entertainment rather than stewarding and using it wisely. He blew a fortune. How many of God's people are blowing a fortune when God has entrusted so much to us? So I want to kind of Look at this idea for a moment in John chapter 11. This is also actually a very common passage, uh, Jesus and Lazarus. And this is uh, kind of a a different take on it, so I'm not going to have a lot of time to dissect everything. But in John chapter 11, verse 1, we're going to pick it up. It says, Now a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary, Excuse me. All right, the uh, the town of Mary and her sister Martha. It was that Mary who anointed the Lord with fragrant oil and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore, the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. When Jesus heard that, he said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now, verse 5, this is a, a big idea here. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So we see that Jesus is really close to these people. These are not just people in the crowd. These are close friends. Verse 6, so when he heard that he was sick... He stayed two more days in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, let's go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, uh, lately the Jews sought to stone you. And are you going there again? Now, you can take that down for a moment, Pamela. So to bring you up to speed here, so looking at this, Jesus is very close relationally with Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. Lazarus is sick, and he dies. And the real reason that he dies is because Jesus did not show up on time. You see, in his friend's greatest need, Jesus did not come. Jesus waits. Have you ever had 
people in need come to your life at the worst time. <laughs> that was just, just me. <laughs> so like, oh Lord, I have no problem helping, but why now? Why now? Jesus doesn't come when they need him, even though he loves them so much. He stays for two days. Do you know Jesus told people no? Jesus was a big deal. Jesus was a celebrity. Jesus couldn't just walk around town without attracting a crowd. And I mean, picture if, if Jesus walked the earth today and people understood that there's this guy in Israel that he can heal anybody of anything immediately. Think about how many people would be flooding the airport or bringing private jets to Jesus. And Jesus is like, no, I can't come right now. But they're going to die. Jesus is like, I am God. I know they are going to die. This is, this, like, think about how horrible this sounds. So Jesus decides to wait. And when he shows up days later, he has two separate conversations, one with Mary, one with Martha. And both of them start the conversation by saying, Lord, if you had been here, our brother would still be alive. They were very disappointed with Jesus because when they needed him, he wasn't there the one who loved them. But on the other hand, after two days, Jesus says, okay, now it's time to go. I want to make sure he's dead, and then we'll go. He doesn't say that. But his disciples, they have a different perspective. You see, I'm not going to go all into it, read it to you, but the disciples didn't want to go. So when Jesus says, we're going to go, they're like, wait a minute, wait, uh, master. They tried to kill you right there, that place, the other day. I thought that's why we're not going. See, they thought Jesus didn't go to Bethany because Jesus didn't want to be killed. And so Jesus begins to have a dialogue and says, well, and, he, and you know, Jesus is talking metaphorically. He's like, Lazarus is asleep and I must go and wake him up. And they're like, Lord, if he's sleeping, he's good. He's all right. If he's, a, if he's getting a good nap and you know that's a sign he's getting better, we don't need to go. And Jesus is like, no, we need to go. And finally, they just keep bucking Jesus. And finally, Jesus is like, Lazarus is dead. I've got to raise him from the dead and we've got to go. And Thomas is like, you know, typical Thomas. Well, I guess it's time to go die with Jesus. <laughs> He's an optimistic guy. And so, and so they go. I want you to see the boundaries in this moment. That there are people on both sides that are tugging on Jesus. One says, hey, stay alive. The other one says, hey, raise him from, help me out. And in the moment of Jesus' friends on both sides pulling on him, Jesus only does what he sees the Father doing. Why would a loving God, why would Jesus 
not respond to a person in need? Why would Jesus do what he's doing in this moment? The answer is because Jesus had a purpose. He was being devoted to one, and that's the Father. And out of relationship with the Father, Jesus had a treasure. And Jesus was stewarding that treasure, being guided by the Father. So he knew when to tell people no. And he knew when to tell people yes. And I know that this Jesus was, you know, he knew what to do all the time. And a lot of times we're like, God, I don't know what to do. I want to help, but I feel guilty. I had a a situation this, this last year where a friend of mine had experienced kind of a, a thing outside of their control that led to um, a pretty significant medical bill. And this individual contacted me and said, hey, I am in deep trouble. And they were explaining their circumstances financially to me. And I prayed about it. And I said, God, do you want me to give? How much do you want me to give? And I, I felt like the Lord gave me an, a dollar amount, which by my standards was a decent portion. And so then I gave this individual a good chunk of change. And then several months later, they came back because even though I gave them a portion, I did not pay the bill in full. And I was in a real quandary because I really want to honor God. I really do. And whatever the cost, I really want to obey God. I want to honor God. And I knew there was a genuine need there. And so I, for months, before I would go to bed, I would, probably at least two months, maybe three, I would pray about this situation. And I would just say, God, I want to help this person, but I don't want this person to view me as their source because only you are the source. So what do you want me to do? Because you gave me a dollar amount and now they're coming asking for more. And so I began to just pray every night before I would go to bed, Lord, do you want me to pay the bill in full? Do you want me to do this? Do you want me to, you know, and, and, and I just, I was like not getting anything for quite a while. And I'm like, okay, God, is this silence supposed to be like, Daniel, it's obvious, like just do it. I, I don't know. But until one night I had a dream and you guys were like, of course, there it is. All of Daniel's sermons have a dream in them. And I'm not complaining. I told God that I'm okay with it. So I have this dream. In this dream, I am in a hotel with my family. The hotel has no vacancy. We had a reservation. We're in this hotel. Rachel, the boys, we're out this room. I go into the lobby, and there's a guy there. Now, to, to set this up, there are three individual situations in this dream where, uh, it, that, deal with di- that deal with giving. So the Lord actually shows me. It's kind of like, you know, Scrooge in the, 
whatever, the past, present, and future. It was kind of like the Lord's like, these are three different circumstances that I'm teaching you about giving. So the first one, this guy is at the counter and they screwed up on his reservation and they did not have a reservation for him. So this guy has no place to spend the night in the city. He has nowhere to stay the night and he is pretty upset and he's a, you know, a, a good guy at least it seemed like in the dream, and I really wanted to help him. And I sit down, and I'm talking to him, and he is telling me all of his situation about his need, his problem. And I, everything in me in this dream, wanted to give away my hotel room. I wanted to give him my room and be like, you can have my, you can have it. But in the back of my head, I knew I wasn't supposed to. Because that room was not for him. It was for my wife and for my children. Do you, do you see it? You have a treasure with your loved ones. And in real life, my financial situation, I had money, but it was allocated. That money was for my family. I can't take what belongs to my family and give it to this person. Does that make sense? You see, a lot of times, Christians and even non-Christians alike, we neglect what we have been given to steward because we can't say no. So we neglect our own children, our own husband, our own wife, because we think we're being a godly person, because we're giving away something that belongs to them. I, as a pastor, have had to navigate this for decades now where I have a wife, I have children, I have friends and family, and I can't steal what belongs to them. There are things that your spouse is supposed to have, and one of those things is quality time. If you neglect your loved ones for the sake of the kingdom, outside of God's leadership in your life, you are being wasteful like the prodigal. This making sense? You guys really deep thinking right now? So in that circumstance, the Lord was saying to me, there is a time where you are not to give away because it's allocated to your family or to your own self your own soul. Because the reality is, is you are responsible for your own soul, heart, emotional condition. If you can't tell people no, and they run all over your life, wear you out, wipe you out, then you can't do what the Father is calling you to do because you have no Health, energy, resources. The Father has given you resources. Some are actually unlimited, like money. Some are limited, like time, like energy. And so we have to steward our energy levels, not to be selfish, but so we actually have something to give. It's kind of like 
You know, I've, I've heard many pastors use the illustration, I'll just be redundant and say it. If you've ever been on an airplane, and then you watch the video, and it talks about the mask falling from the, the ceiling with the oxygen, they, what do they say? Put yours on first, then help the person next to you. That is biblical. You see, you have been given treasure, and if you can't say no to other people, then you will say no to God and your purpose and your calling and your destiny. When you say no to certain things in your life, it is not for the purpose of being selfish. At least it shouldn't be. It should be that you store your treasure so you can do what God has created you and called you and destined you to do. I want to really encourage you. Some of us have a warped view of boundaries that are selfish and ungodly, and you are missing out on your destiny and on your purpose because selfishness is ruling your life. And some of you are missing out on your destiny and the reason you were born because you care too much and have a fear of man. And the Lord wants to break the fear of man off of you. And he will purposely put you in circumstances that will force you to be the bad guy. I know from experience. I hate it. I hate conflict. I hate tension. I hate all that stuff. And God loves to deal with it in me. This is about your destiny because when you stand before God, you will be the only one he's talking to about your life. And so that was the first part of my dream where I literally could not give because it was allocated. And then the second part of my dream, there was a situation where the Lord wanted me to give away my iPad, which is not like a massive you know, thing financially, but it's still a decent chunk of change. And I, in the dream, I knew, matter-of-factly, the will of the Father was, Daniel, I want you, I am telling you, to give away your iPad. And so out of obedience and faith, I gave my iPad away in the dream. And I knew, as I, after I gave it away, that the Lord would provide, and that there would be enough, and that God will, would, you know, it may not happen right away, but the Lord would resource what I needed to get another iPad. And so that was the second situation. So the first situation, I was not really directed by God what to do, but I knew my, I guess you could almost see my core value because I knew what I was responsible for. The second one, I was commanded, and it was actually a significant sacrifice. In the third situation, the third part of my dream, I was also in the hotel lobby, and Another customer came and they were there to pay their bill at the hotel and they needed five, they were five dollars short to get their hotel room. And the person behind the till said, hey, do you have five bucks? This guy here is short five bucks. Are you able to help him out? And I had no direction from God, no word from God, no command from God. But I thought to myself, 
It's a small sacrifice. Yeah, I think, I think God would be into that. And I gave the $5 away. And I felt, I felt the pleasure of the Lord on it, but there was no direction, direction to do it. So I want you to see here, in one situation, the Lord was saying, no, not because he told me, but because I had a greater yes. In the second one, I gave because I was told, and it was an issue of obedience. In the third, I was not told, I was not commanded, and it was a small sacrifice. Sometimes the Lord will give you a direct command of what you need to do with your life. But sometimes there are small things that the Lord is good with us doing, but he doesn't command it. You know, somebody is moving and they need help. Oh, Lord, should I help them move? God's like, well, do what you want. You know, like, get over, you know, I gave you a brain. Just, you can do that. Oh, Lord, you know, should I go left? We're right at the stop sign. The Lord's just like, just go for it. You know, whatever, just, just go, you know, do your thing. You know, sometimes we almost get too spiritual that it gives us an excuse to do nothing. Oh, Lord, only if you tell me what to do will I serve anybody on this planet. And the Lord's like, you're a real joy bringer. <laughs> do, do, do you see it? Some of us are waiting for God to make us do something against our will. And God's like, if that's your attitude, I'm not going to waste my time. I'll find somebody that has a better attitude. I'm talking today to people that I believe God has deposited great treasure in you. He loves you so much. He has given you more than you think you have. If you think you have nothing to give, it's only because you're believing a lie. And that, that lie comes from a poverty spirit. You see, po a poverty spirit looks to yourself and what you have to offer. But God's kingdom, when he is the source, you begin to think differently. You begin to think differently. You see, sometimes we think, or at least I have thought, that everything in the kingdom was dependent on me working hard. I actually thought the harder I worked, the more I accomplished. No. The Lord told me at one point, he says, Daniel, if you get the ball, I, I, for lack of a better terminology, I can't remember exactly how he said it right now, but the gist of it was, Daniel, if you have to work this hard to get all these things going, you have to work at least that hard to keep all those things going. You know, this is spinning a plate. Just so you can't read sign language, this is called spinning a plate. I, this is my life, spinning plates. Got my, like a mime or something. God, I forgot what I was going to say. We can move on. I got distracted by the mime. <laughs> All right. Well, let's go down to uh, verse 38. It says, Then Jesus, again groaning in himself, came to the tomb. So he's, he's come to Lazarus' tomb. It was a cave. And a stone lay against it. Jesus said, 
take away the stone. Martha, the sister of him who was dead, said to him, Lord, by this time there is a stench, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, did I not say to you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead man was lying. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I know that you always hear me, but because of the people who are standing by, I said this, that they may believe that you sent me. So verse 43 is a really good verse. Now when he said these things, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he who had died came out, bound hand and foot with grace clothes. And his face was wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, loose him and let him go. Jesus was doing the will of the Father, and he said no so he could fulfill his purpose. And when he came to fulfill his purpose by being led of the Father, Jesus spoke to death, and he said, Lazarus, you know, come forth. And I want you to see this idea of how it is in the kingdom. God speaks, and we come alive. We come out of death. I want you to see our role in this story. Our role is not to control, fix, or tell other people what to do. But we do have a job in this story. And that, I believe, is at least a huge part of our purpose. And that is, I want you to picture the scene of Lazarus coming out, hobbling. It says he was bound. Kind of a mummy thing going on. He's got a, in their culture, they had a handkerchief over their head and their face. So picture, the guy can't see. The guy can't move. His hands are bound. And that is the state of a lot of us when Jesus calls our name. And he says, come. We come alive, but let's just be honest, we're bound. So what does Jesus tell his disciples to do? Loose him. Whose job is it? Not Jesus, in a sense. He has the servants do it. He says, loose him and let him go. And when I saw this passage, it reminded me of the story of the prodigal. Because it's kind of a similar thing. Because the prodigal goes and blows all his money. And then once he blows his money, a famine hits. And now the guy has went from an identity of a son 
who is rich to a bum who is poor. And he's blown everything. He's, he's ruined. He's ruined it. Everything the Father has given him, he's blown it. And maybe you're here today and you can say, Daniel, God gave me so much and I have blown it. I have blown this relationship, this marriage. I have wounded, I have offended, I have neglected, I have been a workaholic, or whatever you want to, you know, describe it as. Maybe you can relate with the prodigal. And then, out of the place of his poverty, and I want you to picture him wearing clothing that looks worn out, dirty, that is not high quality. And out of the place of looking like a bum, feeling like a bum, he says, I will go and feed pigs, which in the Jewish culture were very unclean. They did not eat bacon. They did not eat sausage. It was an unclean, dirty thing. And it's a, it's a, it's a place of lowness. And he says, you know what? My father's servants are better off than I am. He realizes it's better to, I'd rather be a servant of God. Like he's not wanting to go back to be a son. He wants to go back and be a slave, to be a servant, because even a servant in God's house is better than this. And so out of that place, he says, I'm going home. I've got a speech prepared. And I'm going to tell the father, I'm not worthy. I'm not good enough. And he goes forward with his prepared speech. And Katie, would you mind coming up here and help me land this? He goes and gets his speech prepared. And the father, full of mercy and grace, runs to him. And I want you to see this passage because I saw a connection between these two passages here. And that is the role of the servants in this story. I'm going to pull it up here. In verse 22, the father said to his servants, bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet and bring the fatted calf here and kill it. And let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. Now, what I really want you to see here is the father says to who? His servants in verse 22. Servants, you have a role here. Now, I know all analogies kind of break down because we're also sons and daughters. But what I want you to see here is there are three things that he gives to the son. The first is a robe. The robe has to do with putting on righteousness. This man shows up in poverty because he has blown it, and he finds his identity in what he has done. He finds his identity in where he has been. He finds his identity in his works, in his serving. And the father, and he says, I know who I am. 
I am dirty. I am unclean. I have wasted. And out of that place, I will work for you. And the father says, get those dirty clothes off and give him the best robe you can find. What does the robe represent? It represents the identity that we put on when we put on Christ. When we come to faith, we stop looking at our own identity and our own works. We begin to look at what he has accomplished. We look at what he has done. And out of his identity, we put on a robe of righteousness. We put on a robe of cleanness. The second thing he puts on, give this man, my son, a ring. What is a ring? A ring was a sign of authority. It was the seal that said, this ring is proof that you listen to him. This ring is proof that this is my son. This is, I'm giving him authority in my house to do everything that I do. And then finally, he says, he shows up and most likely he's barefoot by this point. Get sandals for those feet because only slaves are barefoot. Sons wear shoes. This is no servant. This is no slave. This is no hired worker. This is my boy and I love him and I give him righteousness, I give him authority, and I declare sonship over his life. Now, what I want you to see in the imagery of all three of these is identity. Identity is what the Father bestows, but who gives it to him? The servants. In the story of Lazarus, you have Jesus speaking, And then he tells the people around him, now you have a job. You have a purpose. Loose him. Loose him. Listen, what are you living for? We have spent the last two years working very hard to stay alive. And I'm all for that. I want you alive too. But why would we work so hard to stay alive if we're not going to live? And if we're going to live, what and who are we going to live for? What is our lives about? What are boundaries for? I'm not angry. I'm just passionate. The whole point of boundaries is so you can focus and you can recharge And so you can make a difference. And when you get around people, it is not to control them. It is to tell them who you are. You get around people and you say, you're acting like a slave. You're acting like a servant. But I'm here to tell you who you are. You are a son. You are a daughter. Well, I don't feel it. You don't know where I'm No, no, put on the robe. Put on the identity. This is the, who you really are. That's my purpose. That is your purpose. That is your calling, to be led by God, to serve, to make a difference. The purpose of boundaries is not to binge on Netflix. 
Not to go and just make arguments on social media. You have a purpose, but are you doing it? Who are you living for? What are you living for? Because I believe the Lord is saying today, I have deposited my treasure inside of you and you will be held, not, not in an angry way, accountable. The way you steward the riches inside of you will determine, what's the word? Not prizes. Rewards, that's the word, rewards. Your rewards in heaven. Everything you have done with your life will be brought, every work will be brought through the fire. And some of it will come out purified and you will be rewarded. And some of your works will be burned up. Will be judged by what we did. Like if you are in Christ, you will not be saved off of what you have done you'll be saved off of what Jesus has done. But as a Christian, you will be rewarded for what you have done and why you did it. And that's another sermon for another day. You just want to stand up? I don't want anyone to fall under condemnation, but I want you to see that your life can be and is called to be more than it is. And for some of you, you need to say no to some things so you can say yes to God's yes. And the Lord will reveal that to you. But for many of you, you already know. You already know, if you be honest with yourself, there are some things you need to say no because God has a yes for you. Let's pray. Before Time out, I screwed up. If you are on the prayer team, we need you up here before I pray. So if you're on the prayer team, please come to the front. I'm out of order here. In just a moment, I'm going to do this right. In just a moment, I'm going to pray a closing prayer dismissal. If you need prayer for anything, if it's about something that God has spoken to you this morning, or you need a physical or emotional you know, touch from God, whatever it is, uh, these are awesome people. Come and get prayer. God will hit you up. It'll be great, worth your while. I'll pray, and then you can receive prayer if you need it. Father, we thank you very much that your word is alive. And I pray, Lord God, that as your word has come forth today, I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would bring such clarity concerning our lives and the course that you have for us. And right now, I just break off any shame. We disagree. If you're living in guilt or shame over your past, right now, it's time to break that off. It's time to disagree and just say to the Lord, I disagree with shame. I repent for what I've done, but I disagree with shame and I refuse to walk in it. Right now, we just put on the robe of righteousness, the identity of righteousness. And Lord, we just lay our lives down before you. And God, I pray that you'd put your desires into our hearts to live for you. God, we just ask for courage to say no and courage even to say yes. I just want to give you a moment to deal with God for yourself. If there's anything you need to talk to him about, if there's anything you need to lay down or ask for,
Lord Jesus, I pray you'd fill your people with your spirit, with your truth. And we ask for grace to honor you and to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen.